we are in Exodus 28. Exodus 28. <clears throat> Something that really blows me away about these, uh, when Moses is with the Lord, he's having his intimacy with the Lord. <clears throat> Is how, you know, the Lord is teaching him instructions. He, he, the Lord is giving blueprints to Moses about the tabernacle, the mercy seat, the holy of holies. And now we're going to look at you know, the instructions that he has for the high priest that, to, for, for, that he's giving to Moses. And you picture Moses in a couple chapters. It's going to break your heart because we're going to see Moses coming down from the mountain. And it's by instruction of the Lord. The Lord tells Moses, hey, go down to your people. And when Moses comes down, he sees the people with the golden calf. And he sees Aaron there with the golden calf. But what's so beautiful is you picture in the mind of Moses. I mean, this is just a thought of mine. I can't really say, you know, I don't know the mind of Moses. (laughs) But he comes down from the mountain and he sees this egregious sin. And if the thought came across his mind like, you know, how could you have told me all these things for to bless the people when look at what they're doing? You know, and what's so beautiful is that in obedience, Moses, step by step by step by step, he did exactly what the Lord told him. At this particular time, we're going to see in the future a little bit how, you know, he kind of does something that's not so good. And we're going to see that's many moons from now. But it blows me away to consider, you know, the Lord is going to give Moses instruction for Aaron and the, the sons of Aaron. And it begins the Levitical priesthood. But prior to, I mean, like, it, it, I, I'm never going to get tired of saying this, but it reminds me of you and me. How before we were sinners, Christ died for us. How much God loves you. How much God loves me. How much God loves his creation. I mean, you look at the world today and he's like, man, that guy's involved with such heavy sin. This girl's involved with such such heavy sin. Like, what in the world? How can this be? And it's like, Lord, come quickly, come quickly, which isn't a bad prayer. We see that, you know, we see that uh, 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 phrase in Revelation. But then at the same time to understand, like, wait a second, you know, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You know, and it's such a trip because look what happens here. The... I have to say there are certain times, I don't want, no offense to anybody here today. There are certain times when we're studying passages in scripture where I'm thankful that, you know, you guys are here. But there's a side of me that says, man, I, I wish, I wish I could speak to a group of men about this topic. Or I wish I could speak to a group of women about this topic. Or teenage boys, or teenage girls, or preteen, or old people, or elders. There are certain times, passages where we go through scripture, and in my mind, it's just like, wow, I wish more pastors could hear this message, or I wish more men can hear this message. Today, it's a message where I wish I could speak to a bunch of pastors and elders. Because you're going to see a picture when we study this, and this, don't, don't take any offense to that. But you're going to see the high, high, high regard that the Lord has for leadership. 
And it's not leadership in terms of leading his people. You know, he does a good job of leading his people. It's leadership, leadership in terms of atoning for the people. And the people who have uh, all kinds of different sins, not just here in our passages and in the future chapters in Exodus, but like even in like the uh, first and second Chronicles and the Kings and all these books where you see people who forget the Lord. And it's one thing for the people to forget the Lord. But then what's so sad about in unison with those particular time periods is that the priesthood forgets the Lord, too. And that's when the Lord calls upon people like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos. But here, look what happens in verse 1 of chapter 28. The Lord is saying in this blueprint that he's giving to Moses, he says, Now take Aaron, your brother. You know, it, it, how the Lord has these plans for his people. In just the same way as the Lord has plans for you in your life. If there's ever a moment where you think like, man, I've blown it. My sin is too great. Don't forget Aaron. Don't forget Aaron with the golden calf. And even still, the Lord has plans for him. And that's not to say like, hey, we can take advantage of God's grace. And, you know, does that mean I can sin so that grace can abound? Paul says, no way, don't do that, exclamation point. We'll get to there, we're in, our, in the book of Romans. Paul says, don't do that. But that doesn't change the nature of the Lord and His grace and His mercy towards you. Here he says, now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And we're not going to study. When we get into the book of Leviticus, we're going to hone in on specific, specific chapters. Leviticus chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. And you see a picture of leadership. Like in action. And, you know, I have to say, a couple of Aaron's kids, Nadab and Abihu, the Lord kills them. God kills them. He takes their life. And, you know, sometimes people hear that, they read about it, and they see it, and they're like, wow, you know, that's a vengeful God. You see how mean he is? He takes these people's life. Where when we get into those passages in Leviticus, you're going to see the reason why. You know, the Lord is establishing this priesthood. So that there can be union between Israel, the people, and the Lord. And the Lord uses the priesthood to say, you know, like last week when we talked about, you know, like if I had sin under my tent, how I would take my, my, my lamb and, and I would take it, present it to the priest. And the priest would be the, the one to atone and, you know, sacrifice the animal and sprinkle blood on me, sprinkle blood on the altar take pieces of the animal and burn it and it would be a burnt offering unto the Lord. And that's how sin, you know, sin would be atoned, my sin in my camp. If I had a son or daughter that was involved in egregious sin as the head of my home, that's what I would do. And you look at the lives of the people and that's what Israel does. Not 
here, not even when they're worshiping the golden calf, but then when they repent and come to the Lord, they start to adhere to these things. But then there's the priesthood. You know, people would present their animals and then if there was like, you know, their sin would be forgiven. But then at the same time, you look at the priesthood where the Lord speaks with the people. There's a purpose behind all of it. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and hear from the Lord, would go into the Holy of Holies and listen and wait for the voice of the Lord. And then he would come out of the Holy of Holies Exit the holy place and then exit the gate of the tabernacle and all the congregation of Israel would be there. And then he would start to speak, you know, thus saith the Lord. And the people would listen. That's how it was. Now, I'm not advocating the law. I'm not saying, you know, pastors are some kind of big shot. I'm not trying to say it like that because we do have a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. His name is Jesus Christ. The ways of the Old Testament, the ways of the Old Covenant, those things are over. You know, there's a new covenant. But then it places heavy value on what God our Father has done in His Son and through His Son in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ being high priest. In terms of Him being the sacrificial lamb. In terms of Him being our all in all. That's why Paul writes he's the propitiation for our sins. He's everything. And we're going to see, you know, these sons in future chapters of these sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the Lord kills them. You know, and it's like the purpose of the priesthood is to bless the people. It's to bless the people. You see, God's desire is to bless the people. When we're going to get into the later chapters, when you get into the major prophets and the minor prophets, sometimes there's periods of silence where the Lord doesn't speak. It's not necessarily because of the people. I mean, in some regards, politically speaking, it is because of the people, because they had wicked kings who forgot the things of the Lord. But then you look at the priesthood. When Ezekiel was like, you know, Lord, I hear your voice, but you know what? You have these priests. You Use these priests over there. Use these guys. Don't use me. Just the fact that the Lord is speaking to him speaks volumes about the character of Ezekiel. There is such a thing as the behind the scenes, what happens with leadership, just like in Ezekiel's days. When the Lord tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want to use you for this. And Ezekiel, he's kind of resistant. And he says, Lord, you have all these people. And the Lord tells him, you think these are godly people? You think these are people after my own heart? Look at all these things that they're involved with. Look at these other gods that they're worshiping. I cannot use them. And that's why I want to use you, Ezekiel. That's the behind the scenes for leadership. You know, where it's not a union mentality where it's like, okay, this guy's been walking with the Lord for... 10 years and there's this other guy that's been walking with the lord for 20 years you know he has seniority so he's going to be the pastor it doesn't work that way the lord looks at the heart and leadership and it's to bless his people to bless the congregation of israel that's why it's so powerful you know it's like 
We're going to study it more in the book of Acts, but you're going to see like it, like the Lord just bypasses the priesthood completely in Jesus Christ. Remember, the veil was torn from top to bottom. The old covenant is over and done with. It's so powerful. And we're going to see that in the book of Acts. And we're going to see the power of living in those things. Living in that truth. But that doesn't change the nature of the Lord. I'm not advocating the law. But these are all things that are embedded in the law. But it remember, it points to Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he says, And you shall make holy garments. Translates as consecrated, dedicated, sacred, and it's a covering. Holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Do you remember in a place called Eden, in our study in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve were naked? You know, they were naked before the Lord, fully exposed before the Lord. Except they had no knowledge of sin. And there they were in oneness with the Lord. And then once they partook of the forbidden fruit, the Lord, he's like looking for them. And they're hiding. And they made a covering for themselves. They used leaves for themselves to cover themselves. And, the, and you know, and the Lord was like, you know, the Lord, you know, who told you you're naked? They were like, you know, we're naked. We have these leaves because we're naked. And the Lord was like, who told you you were naked? They had the knowledge of good and evil. And you know what's such so powerful? Is that they made themselves a covering. And it was God who says, you know what? Your covering can't fix this. I'm going to give you a covering. And he gave them animal skin, fur skin. Meaning what? Meaning, you know, there was a, a, um, a sacrifice. It's the first sacrifice in the Bible. The animals that were used to cover Adam and Eve. It reminds me a lot about you and me whenever we come across a situation where we want to fix our own problems. Instead of saying, Lord, I've sinned. You know, I need you. I need your hand in my life. When you come across a situation where you say, you know what? I got this. I'll fix this situation. I'll, I'll, I'll have a covering for myself. Yeah, I'm depressed. I'll go to the doctor and get my antidepressants. Yeah, I'm anxious. I'll go to the doctor and get my anxiety pills. I'll do this, whatever. Fill in the blank. It can be whatever. When you devise your own covering, it, it doesn't work. It might work for a couple days when you devise your own covering. Or, you know, if I've committed a sin against another person and I say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Here's, you know, 50 bucks. Let me try to, you know, make you feel good about this. But no, it doesn't work that way. That's me trying to provide my own covering. What about the covering of the Lord when the Lord, just like the Lord told Adam and Eve, hey, this, these leaves that you have, it's not going to cut it. No, here's this animal skin. Here's this fur that you have to wear. First sacrifice in the Bible. Animal, 
life for life. Remember, life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. And remember, it's a shadow of the things to come. Jesus Christ, life for life, blood for blood. Same concept, exactly the same concept. And people say, you know, it's like, you know, why, why, you, why do you believe in the Bible? You think we should stone homosexuals? We think you think we should do these things to. You know, uh, whatever kind of uh, uh, whoever broke the law. But it's to say, no, I should be on the cross. I should be stoned. That's why I love Jesus Christ so much. Because he paid the price for my sin. And you know what? He paid the price for your sin as well. And that's what's so powerful about this covering that we have. Jesus Christ is the covering. We see the concept of a covering provided by the Lord in the Old Testament. We see it here when the Lord is giving Moses these blueprints. But then for you and me today, what is the covering? It's Jesus Christ. He is our covering. God's sacrifice. The sacrifice of his only begotten son. And here he says, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans. He says, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. Notice this concept of ministry. It's to minister to the Lord. <laughs> and that's something that really, really blows me away. It really, really trips me out because all forms, this is my opinion here, but I could back it up scripturally. All forms of ministry, no matter what it is, pastoral ministry, helps ministry, no matter what it is, all forms of ministry need to be unto the Lord. 100% of the time unto the Lord, not unto people. People can be the, the beneficiaries. People can be on the receiving end for their benefit, for their blessing. But in your heart of hearts, it's not ministry unto people. Because what happens when it's like, okay, I'm going to minister to these people. What happens when the people hate you? What happens when the people say, oh, I don't like how you say this. I don't like how you do this. You're going to be a man pleaser. But when your ministry is unto the Lord, who cares what people think? Who cares what people say? And that's what is so incredibly beautiful about these passages here. That when they wear these garments is to consecrate him, speaking about Aaron, that he, that he may minister to me as priest. And it's a ministry unto God. And as the Lord is giving these blueprints to Moses, remember Moses comes down from the mountain and who does he see there? Imagine how stoked he must have been about Aaron. Like, wow, my brother Aaron, the Lord gave me this special message and, you know, he wants to use Aaron as a high priest. And all of a sudden to come down, see this commotion in the people and to see Aaron there, a priest of the golden calf. But then you see the beautiful obedience of Moses as well. Because he doesn't say, wow, Lord, you made a mistake. 
He doesn't say that. You know, in obedience to the Lord, he gives further instruction to the people to consecrate the people. But then here he says in verse 4, in in chapter 28, he says in verse 4, And these are the garments which they shall make. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe. An ephod is like a a vest. And they have stones in it. And we're going to see it in chapter 17 through 20. They have stones in it. Four rows of three stones. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And each stone is symbolic for the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a reason, a purpose behind all these things. And this is this vest that the high priest wears, and there's these colorful stones in it. <laughs> but there's a purpose behind all of it. He says, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. You know, in the Lord is giving Moses these blueprints right now, but in chapter 39, we're going to see how it's actually coming to pass, where they're actually making the garments. There's people that are actually building the temple. There are people that are actually constructing based on these blueprints, which is after this fall that they have with the golden calf. It really, really, really highlights the beauty of repentance. The beauty of repentance. And also the beauty of restoration. The beauty of restoration. We're going to see it here in the Old Testament. You can, we're going to see it in the book of Acts. We're going to see it all over the Bible, left and right, up and down, all over the place. People who have ears to hear, who want to align themselves with the things of the Lord. We're going to see it. And it's so incredibly beautiful. But that doesn't change the nature of the blueprints that the Lord is giving Moses. Why do I even say it that way? Because what are the blueprints that the Lord is giving you and me? You know, when we take time out of our busy lives and we start to open up these pages and we start to read, what are the blueprints that he's giving you and giving me in your own personal intimacy with the Lord? What are those blueprints? You might read a passage of scripture where it's like, wow, Lord, no way. My brother can't be like this. My sister can't be like this. My mom, my sister, my brother. I think I said those people already. My dad, my aunt, my uncle, there's no way. My co-workers, my friends, there is no way. But then at the same time, you start to realize, wait a second, are we going to be like Moses in saying, Lord, your word says this and I'm going to have faith. I'm going to trust in you. Never lose hope. Always be a hopeful people. Always, 100% of the time. But that doesn't mean, you know, we start to be stupid. You know, we have such thing as called discernment, wisdom of the, the, the Holy Spirit, wisdom of the, the word of God. You know, we're called to be gracious. We're called to be loving. We're called to be merciful, but we're not called to be stupid. You see a lot of people who are hopeful, but then they're also stupid. <clears throat> Foolish, I should say. 
Don't be that way. You might, you know, you know, look back and realize, man, I was stupid when I made that decision. And that's when you learn from your mistakes. And you say, okay, I made that mistake once. I made it twice and no more. That's how we grow and that's how we mature. Remember, the Lord is making a generation that's going to, he's raising a kingdom of priests unto himself. What are we going to be doing in our glorified bodies in ministry unto the Lord during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ? I don't know. You know, that's not for me to divvy out. But the Lord does say he's going to raise kings and priests. And it's like, okay, Lord, on this side of eternity, not in my glorified body yet, not in your glorified body yet, Lord, use me. These are things that, this is the life of a Christian. And you see these beautiful passages of how the Lord is giving these blueprints to Moses to say, this is how I want to use Aaron. This is how I want to use his sons. And as God is merciful and gracious, remember that he still takes the life of two of Aaron's sons. Not because he wants to be vengeful, not that he is vengeful, not to even suggest that he is vengeful. But because they didn't honor the Lord. They did not honor the Lord. And we're going to study that more when we get into the book of Leviticus. He says in verse five, they shall make, they shall take the gold, blue, purple and scarlet thread and the fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically worked. These are people when we get into like. Okay, so Moses comes down from the mountain. There's this egregious sin in the camp, the golden calf. And Moses destroys it all. He says, Whoever's with the Lord, come and stand with me. And so some people, they come, they say, you know what? I'm done with this golden calf. Aaron, you know, a priest of the golden calf because he was, you know, doing like a a worship service to the golden calf. He says, I'm done with this golden calf. And he comes to Moses. A bunch of other people, they come to Moses. But then there were other people who stayed with the golden calf. He says, you know, the people were like, you know what? I like my golden calf. I like my sex, my drugs, and my rock and roll. You know, you think you're for God. I don't want any of that. And so all the people who want to be with God come to Moses' side. And then Moses says, okay, kill them. As much as we're talking about grace and mercy, which God is definitely gracious and merciful. Don't forget that there's always periods of judgment. Always periods of judgment, even in the camp of Israel. What does the Bible teach us? That judgment comes first in the house of God. You know, and it it sounds weird to say it that way because, you know, it's a lot of times people say, you know, God is love. God is love. God is love. And yes, he is a God of love. But that doesn't mean I can make excuse for sin. You know, okay, God is a God of love. Yeah, he'll forgive me. Yeah, he loves me. So let me go out and do these drugs. Let me cheat on my wife. Let me beat on my wife. Let me do all these things. It doesn't work that way. 
Remember, like all these people, like in the Gospels, in Matthew, or not so much in Matthew, but in John and Luke, all these people who were caught up in sin, and the Lord heals them. You know, neither do I condemn you, he would say. And then he'd meet up with them on another day, maybe the same day at that very moment, and he'd always say, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Because remember, the Lord is making a godly generation of people after his own heart. And the question is, am I a person after my own heart? Are you a person after your, your own heart? Or do you take your heart and you throw it in the trash? Because you trust in the Lord. You've fallen in love with him. You trust in him. And it's like, Lord, I know this is difficult. Or Lord, I know, you know, whatever this is that you're saying, I don't really see it in my life. But Lord, I trust you. And you take your heart and you say, here it is. Here I am. That's what every single person has to say. I mean, I say it that way, but you don't have to. I strongly, strongly urge you to. But you know what's so beautiful? How gracious the Lord is unto us. He'll take a whole lifetime to teach us that. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody who says, you know what? I don't, you know, I don't like how you say I shouldn't do this, but you know, I, I, I'm not down with that. So I'm going to go out and do it anyway. And then they come back to you and it's, you know, they have a couple kids now, not married. And it's like, man, I should have listened to you. Or, you know, they come back to you and they got like a, a venereal disease. Or they come back to you and they're like strung up on, you know, whatever. I should have listened. It's like, wow, praise be to the Lord. This destruction of the flesh that you're experiencing, the Lord used it for his glory. Repent. And be alive in Christ. Oh, I, I have AIDS. I have whatever. I don't, you know, doctors say I only have a year to live. And you're kind of jealous. Like, man, you know, I wish I had a year to live. But one day you're going to be in paradise with the Lord. That's the, it's so beautiful. This, I don't even want to say this concept of grace and mercy because it's a reality, grace and mercy. But then at the same time, it doesn't mean I'm not giving excuse for sin. But God is still gracious. He's still merciful. Even so, Moses comes down from the mountain. And there's like a, a separation. It's a, a period of judgment. You kind of get everything. You have grace and mercy. And then in a couple chapters, you have judgment. What do we have in the Bible? You have, you know, grace and mercy in the, the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have grace and mercy. And then you get to Revelation. What do you have? Judgment. We're kind of like in between time. But this period of judgment is coming. Judgment upon the world. But so look what happens here in verse 5. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges. And so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be of the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. 
Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the on one stone and, and six of, on the other stone in order of their birth. You start to see, you know, remember, God is a God of order. It's not just like, hey, you know, you throw this in the air and wherever the chips land, you know, whatever. He's a God of order. And as a shadow of the things to come, there's a reason for these stones that are in, in, in place in the ephod, in the high priest. There's a reason for these stones, and we're going to look at that in a little bit. And remember, it's the Lord with Moses in this intimacy with Moses. When we see, you know, like... Uh, um, in the book of Acts, Stephen, he's having, he's kind of schooling the, the, the religious people. He's the first martyr. And he's kind of the first martyr of the, the Christian faith, the people of the way. And he's kind of schooling the religious class. And he starts to tell the, the priesthood. He says, you know what? The Lord was showing, like he was showing to Moses. Moses could see it with his eyes. So, you know, like here we have passages where the Lord is saying these things, but I don't know if in tandem with this, if like, you know, he was like having a little vision of like, you know, how things ought to be laid out of these blueprints. I kind of suspect that. But he's a God of order in the order of their birth, he says in verse 10. He says in verse 11, with the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of the Satanate, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You start to see a picture of what Aaron is a foreshadow of. You know, the Lord is saying to Moses, Moses, I'm going to use your brother as the high priest. Aaron is going to be the high priest. But then when he says here, so Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. What about Jesus Christ as the bearer of Israel? Remember in our study in Genesis when Joseph, you know, he's the little baby brother. And he had a dream. And then he wakes up in the morning. He was like the little runt of the family. And then, so remember, the blessings always went to the firstborn. Always went to the firstborn. He wakes up in the morning and he was kind of like, hey, guys, guess what? I had a dream. They were like, we don't want to hear your dream, Joseph. You know, get back to work. We don't want to hear it. And then so he would say like, well, you know, and then finally the dad, Jacob, he says, okay, tell us your dream. He says, okay, I had a dream that all of you guys were worshiping me. And that was it. It was like. What are you talking about? Worshiping you? You're the baby. Why are we going to worship you? The firstborn is, you know, you're not even the firstborn. And then, you know, Jay, and then Joseph was like, oh, guess what, dad? Even you are worshiping me. So even the dad, Jacob, was like, okay, this is crazy talk. It got to the point where he bugged his brothers so much. It got to the point where his brothers, some of his brothers wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him, but it was Simeon who stepped in and says, no, don't kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit. And, you know, we studied it. And when jo Joseph, Joseph is in the pit, he can hear them conversing. Oh, let's kill him. Let's do these things. No, let's just sell him into slavery. They pull him up out of the, out of the, uh, uh, the cave or the hole in the ground. They pull him up. 
And then imagine, you know, Joseph in that situation, like, okay, guys, you know, just a little joke that you're playing, ha, ha, ha. But no, they say, Joseph, here, we're selling you to these guys. <clears throat> Rejected by his own brothers. Remember Jesus Christ? Beaten before his people. Jesus Christ is standing there, beaten, bloody, bruised. His beard like, looks choppy because some of it was ripped off. And then Pilate says before all the congregation of Israel, who do you want? Who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? And then they cry out, we want Barabbas. Jesus Christ rejected by his brothers. And then they cry out, crucify him. Rejected by his own brothers. Speaking of the, the camp of Israel. That's why you see Joseph as a type of Christ. Rejected by his brothers. And in the course of time, it's revealed to his brothers. Like, you know, they were bowing down to him. And then it's revealed to his brothers. Wow, this is Joseph. A type of Christ. And remember, Joseph had a Gentile wife. Who's the bride of Christ? Gentiles. You see, it's all of these things are a shadow of the things to come. And here, you know, like we read in Hebrews, all these things with the, the, the how Jesus Christ is the, the sacrificial lamb, the high priest, the uh, like everything. And then you chop up the Old Testament and it's all these little aspects of Jesus Christ as the propitiation. All in all, just like Hebrews teaches here we're looking at him as high priest. You look at the law of Passover, you see him as the, the Passover lamb. It's a little instruction manual. All these little passages, okay? You know, here's a little chapter, a little chunk of scripture here. It's Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb. Here's another little chunk is, you know, Jesus Christ as the rejected brother. Here's another little chunk here is Jesus Christ as the high priest. And all these passages in Scripture are a shadow of the things to come. Jesus Christ. His life, His death, and His resurrection. His second coming too. He says here in verse 13. He says, You shall also make settings of gold. And you shall take two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. You shall make the breastplate of judgment. You know, all these things that are housed within the body of the high priest. Remember, the high priest is the one where he would go in and speak to the Lord. You know, like we studied that in, in uh, a couple. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it. a couple of verses. In, in chapter 25, verse 21. He says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will get, which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. It's there that the Lord speaks with the high priest because only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And it was there where the Lord would speak to the high priest. The high priest would come out. And then all of a sudden the high priest would say, Thus saith the Lord. And give instructions corporately to the congregation of Israel. To individual tribes. 
You see how beautiful this is? And who do we have? Jesus Christ as our mediator. Jesus Christ as our high priest. Remember, the veil was torn. It's such a powerful concept. I, I don't even want to say a concept. When Jesus Christ says, it is finished, the earth shook. He breathed his last. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The earth shook. It became dark. Even the Roman soldiers were like, surely this is the Son of God. The ones who were beating him and mocking him. Surely this is the Son of God. And in the Holy of Holies, there was this big old veil and it tore it, ripped. All these things of the law over and done with in Jesus Christ. And so he says, you shall, in verse 15, you shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven. According to the workmanship of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. You shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its, its width. And you shall put settings of stones in it. So there was this ephod on the high priest. And they were like, you know, like, like a row of three and then a row of three, row of three, row of three. So four, four rows of three, which is 12. He says in verse 17, and you shall put settings of stones in it. Four rows of stones. The first row shall be of sardius, a topaz. And, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth. I don't know these. I just say jacinth, jacinth. An agate and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. And they shall set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve according to their names. Like the engravings of the signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. If you remember, if you remember our study through the book of Revelation in chapter 21, you know, John is having this vision. And, you know, he starts to see, you know, he sees the 12 gates with 12 foundations, which is the names of the tribes of Israel and of the 12 apostles. And then he gives in his vision, he gives a picture of all these precious stones as foundational. And then he's giving this vision of, you know, remember the, the like the, it was like a cube coming down from heaven. You know, and it's like this cube coming down, you know, and then he says, but there's no temple. There's no temple. Like, Where is the temple? And then he says, God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. No need for the sun, no need for the moon, because the light is right there in the Lamb. Carnal people can't receive these things. They can't comprehend these things because they're spiritually discerned. I mean, have you ever talked to a carnal person about heavenly things? You can't do it. They don't understand. They think you're stupid. They think you've lost your mind. But then when you give that person, you know, the good news, they're on milk for a little bit. Then they get their teeth. They can chew meat. And then you start to tell them about deep heavenly things. It's like, wow, this is so beautiful because they're, they're, it's, it's like, you know, beautiful Princess Penny. 
You know, if she says, hey, you know what? I want to be a, a, a brain scientist or brain, you know, surgeon. She can't do it now. But that's not to say she can never do it. She has to learn. She has to matriculate and grow. The same thing applies to faith. You know, sometimes heavenly things are. That's why Peter, you know, I love Peter so much. Because he tells the people, he says, you know what? Paul talks about things which are hard to understand. I don't get what Paul is talking about. But the Lord is using him. You know, trust what Paul is telling you. He is a godly man. Huge difference from the church you see today. And no disrespect to the Lord. But there's a huge difference. You're going to see like Paul. We're going to get there eventually in the book of Acts. You know, Timothy. He has a mom and dad. One is Jew and the other is Greek. And you know, he was kind of a runt. Because they would make fun of him. The Greeks would make fun of him. Oh, you know, your mom's Jewish. You know, the Jews would make fun of him because, okay, you know, you're not a pure Jew. But then, you know, Paul came on the scene. And the parents say, you know what, here, take our son. Okay. That can never happen today. There's like no, if I had a son, there is nobody who I would say, you know, take my son. You know, he's going to teach you the things of the Lord. There might be one or two, one or two out of a multitude of people. Who in their right mind would say, here, take my son? Nobody. That's what I mean when I say it's a totally different church in the book of Acts. And, I, you know, I say that, no disrespect to the Lord. But that's the problem. That's the disconnect. It's like, you know, when people say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moved. No, 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 no. It's not the Holy Spirit that has changed. It's you and me that has changed. It's the church that has changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God never changes. And you know, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He never changes. It's us who has changed, who have changed. And so here you see these stones that are in the, the breastplate of the, the high priest. Remember, all these things are a shadow of the things to come. And what do you see? You see all these stones that are listed in the heavenly realm when John is having his vision. That's like way, way, way in the future. I mean, like... Kind of, you know, like in one sense, we're, I mean, we're not in Genesis, but we're kind of in the beginning of the Bible. I mean, if you look at the Bible, like, you know, we're kind of in the beginning. And then what do you have in the end? You have all these stones still. He says in verse 22, you shall make chains for the breastplate. And put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the, to the two settings. And put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it. Which is on the inner side of the ephod. And two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front right and and right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. You know, something that just come, came to mind, all these blueprints that the Lord is giving to Moses. Don't forget that meanwhile in the camp of Israel, 
there's still people that are starting to murmur. You know, oh, you know, Moses said he was going to be back. He was going to go, you know, have his thing with the Lord. Remember the people said, you know, we want to hear of the Lord. We want to hear of the Lord. And then finally the Lord says, okay, you know, this is what you have to do. And then the trumpets came. We, this was like in Exodus, I want to say 20. Yeah, they said, you know, we want to hear the Lord. We want to hear the Lord. And then finally the Lord was like, okay, Moses, they can hear me. And then in Exodus 20, verse 18, says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain sm smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, let we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. That's the beauty of intimacy with the Lord. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, you know, when Moses is having these, receiving these blueprints from the Lord, meanwhile, the murmuring that starts to happen in the camp, they say, you know what, maybe he's dead. We haven't heard from him in a while. Maybe he's dead. You know, this murmuring is starting in the camp. And, you know, it's such a trip because that doesn't change the nature of God's intimacy with Moses the same way it doesn't change the nature of God's intimacy with you. When people think you're the dumbest person on the planet, you're so stupid. You don't want to go to the movies and watch this movie with me. You don't want to go out and hang out with me. You don't want to do this. Let's go do this like we used to do. But no, you don't want to do it. What a dummy you are. But that doesn't change the nature of the intimacy that you have with the Lord. Nor does it change the nature of the intimacy that the Lord desires to have with you. Keep on being intimate with the Lord. Who cares what people have to say? But don't forget, there's going to be a time, just like when Moses, you know, when the Lord says, Okay, Moses, go down. I want you to go back to the people. There's going to be a time when the Lord's going to say, hey, Fur, I want you to go back to the people. Hey, Liz, I want you to go back to the people. Hey, Emily, I want you to go back to the people. By faith, I'll say, hey, uh, Penny and Ollie, I want you to go back to the people. That's what happens with intimacy with the Lord. It's not just, it's not just intimacy for the sake of having intimacy. There's a purpose behind it. Because the Lord wants the people to know, like, you know, Hey, I'm here. I want you to repent. Genesis to Revelation. Repent, 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 repent. That's the nature of the priesthood. The Lord wants to communicate. He wants to bless the people. And he does it through the high priest. That's why you have all these passages in the Old Testament where there's a period of silence. You might have people that are on fire for the Lord, but then you look at the priesthood and it's a mess. Or you might have, you know, the people that's a mess and the, the, the priesthood is on fire for the Lord. You know, that's even better because the high priest would be able to at least, you know, that's kind of where you see the difference between Israel and Judah. Israel, the 10 tribes, they separated. And the 10 tribes went into uh, uh, Assyrian captivity. And then Judah, the stronghold. You know, I you know, take that with a grain of salt because it was about 10 years after the fact. 
Instead of going to Assyrian captivity, they went into Babylonian captivity. But then remember, we have a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. And so he says here in verse 28, they shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings. Is it verse 28? I forgot. I was going to go back to verse 22, but I know it's not 22. Oh, yeah, it is 28. He says, they shall bind the breastplate. You know what? I'm going to, you know, like a spot quiz. What do they do? They call that in school. What verse are we in? Everybody's quiet. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, pop quiz. Yeah. <laughs> they shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it is ab above the intricately woven band of the ephod and so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. I mean, you start to get a picture of the heart of our Lord crying for Israel. And, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to take you as a mother hen takes her chicks under her wings. How I long to do this. You start to get a picture of the heart of the Lord. And he's rejected. Imagine his heart when the people are following him. And you might think like, wow, look, he has a nice little following. Or this great multitude of people. But then he turns around and says, you guys are following me because your bellies are full. You like the goodies. You like the presents. And then some leave. And then he turns to his disciples. Are you going to leave too? And then hundreds leave. There's just 12 left. But then remember the 12, even the 12 left. Jesus Christ was all alone. But imagine his heart. But yet he's still obedient to the Father. Still obedient to the Father. That's what's so powerful. Even You know, people are going to leave you. People are going to think you're the dumbest person on the planet. Who cares? Let them. I mean, if you're dumb, you know, you're dumb. But I meant like if you're, you know, if they think you're the dumbest person on the planet because you're following the Lord, who cares? And it's so powerful because Jesus Christ was, had zero around him. But then now look, you know, we're looking at the church and the power of the Holy Spirit just blowing up like crazy. Thousands and thousands and thousands. And so he says here, the breastplate of judgment over his heart. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually, continually, perpetually. In the Old Testament, that's the high priest would go into the veil, into the Holy of Holies. New Testament, new covenant, no veil. The high priest is Jesus Christ. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. Translates as the lights and the perfections or the lights and the emblem of complete truth. Truth. That's what's so powerful about truth. The truth of God's holy word. You know, it's like, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings when we study certain passages. But there's going to be times when you read the Bible and you will be offended. You will be, no matter what. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You will be offended. The Word of God is a very offensive book. 
to the natural man and to the natural woman. And praise be to the Lord. Let that be confirmation of the hand of the Lord upon your life. That the Lord is doing a work in your life. Whenever you're offended by the the word, whenever you're offended by truth, let it be confirmation of who you are in Christ Jesus. You know, Satan will say, you see, how could a God of love hurt your feelings like that? No, turn here, go this way. And people, you know, Satan's a fisherman too. People bite it. And then they're taken away. But no, let it be a confirmation to you. He says, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel. You know, it's, it's, it, it blows me away. I mean, here we are in Exodus. And it, the priesthood hasn't even been established. But the Lord is giving these blueprints to Moses. And remember that the high priest, it's, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. That's why I don't get people like they go back to the law and, you know, the Hebrew roots movement. They want to go back to the law. But it's like, OK, I get going. I mean, I don't get it in the in, 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 in the spiritual sense, but I get how they can desire to go back to the law. I can understand how, you know, Satan can say, hey, if you want to be on fire for the Lord, then, you know, do these things that are written in Holy Scripture. I get how Satan can twist it. I get how they can buy into that. But even if they buy into that, to, to read these and, and, and say all those things were accomplished in Jesus Christ. It's very, very, very difficult for somebody who goes to the Hebrew Roots Movement to, pull, to win them back to Christ. Very, very difficult. Very, very, very difficult. Because they see righteousness in the law. And righteousness doesn't come through the law. It does not come through the law. And so he says here, so Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually or perpetually. In other words, nonstop, nonstop. That's why the Lord, it gets angry when these high priests, you know, like Eli, you know, people like the accolades, you know, they would wear these things. They would wear like all these things are symbolic. The, the ephod, the stones, all these things are symbolic. The, the tunic, the, 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 the head covering, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the turban, all these things were symbolic. But then you get like in Jesus days when he's at his earthly ministry, they would wear these things. They would dress like they were holy people so they could say, look at me, look at me, look at me, look how holy I am. You remember Jesus Christ says, you know, do what these people say, but don't do as they do. They are like whitewashed tombs. It's, you know, it's a heavy indictment in Matthew 23. A heavy, heavy indictment. But no, it is holy before the Lord in accordance with the Old Testament. Because there's a purpose behind it. It's symbolic of the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But it's also for the people, how the high priest would intercede for the people. People would be atoned for, their sin would be atoned for. That example last week when he studied, you know, if I had my sacrificial lamb, there's sin in my camp. Maybe my son or daughter committed an egregious sin. You know, I would correct their sin, correct them. 
But then at the same time, I would take my lamb. I would go to the priest and, you know, there's sin in my home. There's sin in my camp. I would intercede as the pastor of my home. I would intercede for my home. There's sin in my camp. And then the priest would kill the animal, sprinkle blood on me, sprinkle, sprinkle blood on the altar, kill the animal, and then like, you know, burn pieces of it. And there was a burnt offering unto the Lord and my sin would be atoned for. And then I would be able to stand at the gate of the temple and the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, come out and say, thus saith the Lord, and I could receive those things. But no, the priesthood in Jesus' days, the priesthood, even like in our study in the book of Acts, they turn it all for show. Look how holy I am. Does that sound familiar? All these pastors, elders. Look, I'm a pastor. No, look, I'm an elder. Look how holy I am. Look how holy we are. Thus saith the Lord, you do this. Thus saith the Lord, you do this. And there's sin all over the place. It's not to say that God doesn't want to do the work. God wants to do the work. He desires to do the work. But where are the people? Where are the men of God? You know, elders, you shouldn't let pastors get away with things. Co-pastors who shouldn't let their the, the main pastor or elders get away with things. But no, everybody wants to be everybody's friend. But God doesn't roll that way. He doesn't work that way. And whenever you see these uh, periods of time where there's the male subjugation of their own responsibilities. And so the Lord says, okay, if the men are all going to, you know, have their umbilical cords attached, now I'm going to focus on the women. I'm going to use the women. And then the Lord says, okay, the men want to be with their umbilical cords. The women, you know, they want to submit to their husbands who are way over here in La La Land. I'm going to use the kids. I'm going to use the next generation. Look what he did with Judah. All the old people were killed. You know, well, there were some old people, but they were like the, the lame ones. I don't mean lame, like, but they were like gimpy. They had bad legs. They were old, couldn't be used for anything. And that was the remnant that was in Jerusalem. But then you have the young people that are in Babylonian captivity. Young people by the name of Daniel. Young people by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the Lord used them. In like Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he was straight up worshiping the Lord. In, you know, Daniel chapter 4. But he had to learn about the Lord. How did he learn about the Lord? From Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see how the Lord works? He's not mocked. People mock him. And he's gracious and merciful. He'll let them mock him. But it doesn't go on forever. That's how the Lord works. And so he says here in verse 31. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in a coat of mail, like a corslet or like chainmail, so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make 
pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers. And its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. And when he comes out, that he may not die. So people would know, you know, they used to tie a rope around the high priest. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it's to, to, nobody can be before the Lord and live. Nobody. And then at the same time, what happens, the high priest would go into the holy of holies. And then like the presence of the Lord would be there. They would hear the voice of the Lord. But sometimes even the voice of the Lord would kill the high priest. But since no, none of the priests had wanted to go into the Holy of Holies, if they didn't hear the bells anymore, like the high priest would go in there and, you know, walk around. If you ever hear somebody with bells, like, I'm not advocating like, uh, I'll, you know, hearken my Native American culture. But if you go like to a powwow, you know, like you might hear bells in the distance, you know, with walking, you know, hear the bells. And then you look and you see in the distance, you know, one of the like the warrior dancers is coming, you know, and they do their war dance and you can really, really hear the bells. But that's what it was like with the high priest. You hear the bells. OK, he's still alive. He's still alive. And then they didn't hear the bells anymore. It's like, OK, the presence of the Lord killed him and they didn't want to walk in there. So they take the rope and say, OK, let's pull him back. Who's the next guy? Lord, we got to pray. Who's the next guy who could serve in this capacity? And then it, looked, it wasn't like a union. You know, oh, this guy's been a priest for 20 years. He's been a priest for 50 years. He has seniority. It doesn't work that way. The Lord doesn't care about seniority at all. Time inside a church. To me, I think time inside a church is, it kind of works the opposite. It's, it's kind of shameful. I mean, I know it sounds bad. Let me explain. You know, like you talk to somebody and they're like, you know, how long you been a Christian? So I've been a Christian for five years. It's like, cool. Uh, how long you been a Christian? I've been a Christian for 40 years. I've been coming here for 40 years. And it's like, man, you know, you're still on milk. You're still on milk. I can't even talk to you about the heaven, like deep heavenly things. It should be the other way around. You should be teaching me about these things. You should be teaching me how to be a young man in the faith. You should be teaching me how to, you know, be a young married guy. You should be teaching me about how to be a young married woman, you know? You know, women to women. You should be teaching me how to do these things. But no, now it's the other way around. That's what I mean when I say sometimes duration inside a church can be a shameful thing. Not shameful and, you know, shameful, you know, like grow. Why isn't this guy growing? Why isn't this woman growing? Maybe the reason why is just like there was a disconnect in the Old Testament. Maybe there's a disconnect in the New Testament. In the pastors. In the elders. And so he says this in verse 35. And it shall be upon Aaron, oh, in verse 36, you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may, that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. Remember that example last week? Well, I say, here's my lamb. That's a holy gift. That's a holy gift. It's like 
It's so beautiful because you have obedience in the camp, the obedience of uh, the male figure, the, the, the patriarch of that tent, of that family, who's, who's saying, okay, I'm going to sacrifice this, the, the, this lamb without blemish. If you're poor, it'd be a turtle dove. If you're you know, middle class, it'd be a, 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 a lamb. If you're wealthy, it'd be an ox. And so, you know, by stature, it would be like the, that economic stature. Okay, here's my offering. And that act is a holy thing. And the Lord wants it to be acceptable. That's what the, the nature of this priesthood, so that the people can be right before the Lord. And so this is what he says, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. An example would be like the sin offering of the people, you know, whether it be a turtle dove, a lamb or an ox. And it's then accepted by the priest. And all of it in unison is acceptable before acceptable before the Lord. You see, there's there's a reason, there's a purpose behind all these things. He says in verse 39, in closing, you shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. For Aaron's son, for Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them. And you shall make hats for them, or trans it's like a, a like a cap, for glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. You see how holy this is? This is so incredibly holy what's happening here. In the end of verse 38, that they may be accepted before the Lord. That's what the Lord desires for the congregation. So when Moses is coming down the mountain and he sees the golden calf, the congregation of Israel, they're involved in this wild, wild sin. In his mind, he already knows, wow, the Lord wants these people to be accepted before him. The Lord wants to, you know, there's this guy, I see Aaron down there and there he is with the golden calf. It's like, wow, the Lord is going to use him. Yes, the Lord is going to use him. And he's giving Moses the instructions. This is what I want you to do, Moses. What are the instructions that the Lord gives to you and to me? Wow, this guy's caught up in a crazy sin. This girl's caught up in a crazy sin. Yes, they are. But I still want to use you. To give them the good news. To tell them about Jesus Christ. Tell them about my son. Tell them how much I love them. You see? Same, same God. He never changes. He desires this oneness with his creation. Paradise lost. Paradise gained. That's what he desires for you and for me and for all of his creation. That's why he's long-suffering. In other words, suffering a long time. Because people reject him. But that doesn't change the nature of the Lord. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. So they're like shorts from the waist to the thighs to cover their nakedness. 
It says in verse 43, they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting. So remember this, you can see it's not just a tabernacle, like a place, like, okay, this is the tabernacle, you know, you know, look over there, you know, it's the tabernacle. It's not just, I mean, it is the tabernacle, but there's the purpose of it. Remember, he calls it here, the tabernacle of meeting. It's where the Lord wants to, he desires this oneness. It's a very, very, very special place. He says, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. Or it says that they do not incur iniquity, translates as guilt, evil, mischief, and perversity. That's why the Lord doesn't want people to see the nakedness. You know, they were wearing robes. So imagine the priest, you know, he's, you know, worshiping the Lord and doing these things as instruction unto the Lord. And then a gust of wind comes, you know, and I'm not trying to be graphic, but imagine a gust of wind, you know, and the Lord is saying, hey, make sure he has these undergarments so that his nakedness is not, is not exposed so that they do not incur iniquity and die. People today see nakedness as no big deal. Oh, yeah, no big deal. It's just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's a huge deal. It's a very, very huge deal. And even in the Old Testament, the Lord is making these provisions for the priesthood that they do not incur iniquity, guilt, evil, mischief, and perversity. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. So you start to see these passages of when God is silent, 400 years of silence between Malachi and the book of Matthew, 400 years of silence, you get a picture of why he's silent. <clears throat> you start to understand why he's silent. What's happened with the priesthood? What's up with the high priest? What's up with all these elders? But then that's what's so beautiful about the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Joel. Because these are people who are still on fire for the Lord. Today, the Lord speaks through his word and his Holy Spirit helps us understand. But the nature of our Lord never changes. So we're going to end our study here.